um, and we do that specifically by creating financial wellness tools for uh, informal sector workers across uh, the continent. And we're starting with Nigeria. However, paving the way for financial inclusion in the informal sector, financial planning and retirement. Welcome to the Experience Pod, where we focus on emerging technologies trends and their impact on the Nigerian and Africa's business landscape. Many of us look forward to retirement, a well-deserved rest after a lifetime of the grind, packing away our tools to enjoy the fruits of our labor, and finally relaxing knowing there's something to fall back on. However, for most Nigerians, this is not a reality. The UN estimates 93% of all employment in Nigeria is informal. This sector includes petty traders, street vendors, and domestic workers. According to the IMF, the Nigerian informal sector accounted for 57.7% of Nigeria's 2022 GDP, making it a major contributor to Nigeria's economy. Despite this, Millions of Nigerians in the informal sector are excluded from traditional pension systems. What this means is that they are not able to secure an income after retirement and fall into poverty after their working life. To combat this issue and bring more of the informal sector in and reduce financial exclusion, the Nigerian government expanded the coverage of the contributory pension scheme in the 2014 Pension Reform Act and formally introduced the Micro Pension Plan in 2019. Despite its good intentions, enrollment rates have been poor. According to PENCOM, only a dismal 84,000 have registered for a micro pension as of November 2022. This is where PENCOM Tech comes in. Founded in 2020, Awaba is a digital micro-pension platform for the African workforce. Awaba's mission has been to accelerate micro-pension adoption to improve financial inclusion and guarantee every Nigerian a financially secure future. To talk more about championing financial inclusion in the informal sector, my name is Ade Ogusoya an Associate Director and the People and Organization team here at PwC. With me today is Mr. Tunji Andrews, the co-founder and CEO of Awaba. You're welcome, Mr. Andrews. Or can I call you Tunji? Tunji is always better. Fantastic. Okay. Okay, so Tunji, what is the inspiration behind the company name Awaba? It sounds very African. Is that deliberate? Uh, well, to start with, it is, I know that, and this is a problem, right? Everybody calls it Awaba. It is actually Pigeon English. It is Awaba. Oh. It is our money, our cash. Owa. So it is Awaba. It's a scenario where we're trying to build wealth for everybody. Uh, it's the inclusive company. So we call it Awaba. It is your bar. It is my bar. It is Awaba. Now I know. <laughs> so from now on, I'm just going to say our bar. Yes. <laughs> okay. So tell us a bit more about the company's mission and vision. 
All right. So our vision is to be able to create a sustainable future for Africa's workforce. Um, and we do that specifically by creating financial wellness tools for uh, informal sector workers across uh, the continent. And we're starting with Nigeria. And and the real reason is if you look at someone who is in a nine to five, uh, they have tools available to them to be able to battle um sustainability. So we're talking about uh, financial wellness today, both financial wellness also when you do retire. Informal sector workers do not have that leverage. If you do not have cash flow, especially in Nigeria as an informal sector worker, you are completely useless to the financial system. They don't care about you, except, of course, you want to take in your money and take it out of the bank. Um, And that is what we're trying to create. And the, the way to be able to do this is either by, you know, forcing the government to create something that gives them leverage or by using what already exists, which is micro pensions, to start them out by saving and using that long-term saving to be able to build other financial services that they can access today, but also into the future. Okay, interesting, interesting. And thanks for that. Um, I just want you to talk a little bit more about the challenges, um, mainly around, you know, people within the informal sector Mm. um, making contributions to a pension fund because you 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 would probably agree with me that you know uh, a lot of nigerians uh, both in the formal and informal sector um, see this as a very challenging thing Mm. Um, you know their hard-earned money you know they believe the savings will be eroded or even wiped out because of mismanagement, inflation, theft, and so on. You know, there are several cases of where pension funds have been have been mismanaged, mm. to name a few, the you mm. know, police pension mm. fund. And that sticks in the minds of people. Mm. So there's this issue of trust, yeah. you know, and, you know, how do you then convince people um, to actually part with their hard-earned cash um, for, you know, for saving for the for for their futures i, th- I think that this is it needs to start with the conversation of empathy mm-hmm. um at our bar or basically as as tunji andrews i've always felt a deep commitment um a deep um mission really personal mission to create tools that you know informal sector workers can be able to leverage upon and you know, I first thought to myself that financial inclusion was the way to fix it, right? Mm-hmm. So you think to yourself, once everybody is financially included, the problem is solved. But what is the question of financial inclusion to a mamarisi that lives in in the Dubai area of um, Ibadan, for instance? Does she need a bank account? No, she does not. Uh, she can keep her money in her colo. And uh, if she wants to send money to her son who is in Quara, she can give it to Mama Bisi who is traveling to Quara next week and he'll give it, she'll give it to her. So she doesn't really need your financial services. What will make her see sense in inclusion is when you give value. And that is what our buy is entirely about. We are about giving value to them. So we start at empathy and we say, why would this person want to save to begin with? Mm. Why is this person, why would this person be interested in saving? Do we think that we can preach to this person mm. about the, the uselessness of wasting or, you know, um, eating all they have today? Mm. 
I mean, the money they have today is all they have. For you to come from that perspective, you must really be on your high horse. Mm. You know, so we come from that empathy perspective. And we've always thought about the fact that what can we do to make sure that these people have a sustainable future? So the first thing we do is we've bundled our product to begin with is every time you save, we give you complimentary life insurance. It's standard. We pay for it. You are not paying for it. The customer is not paying. Our bar pays for the life insurance of the customer to make sure that if something happens to them while they're saving, their family members get, you know, a a, a sort of uh, cushion to fall up on because we know that a lot of these people are breadwinners so we come with a perspective of value with a little bit extra you can get health insurance not the kind of hmo that you are experienced with but these people usually go to what we call chemists is it possible that we can create a health system that if they go to pharmacies around them they can give to get the the drugs for uh not paying for it by just paying maybe 16 naira or 15 naira every month Yes. So we've created that in a, in a system for them also. So ultimately, every time we create a product, we're thinking about this person will not buy it even if you put a gun to the person's head. So why will the person, what kind of value do we have to attach to this product for this person who can't read or write? Who sees the banker as possibly somebody who is trying to come and take from them instead of give to them? How, what kind of value must this product have Mm. for this person to buy into this? Mm. And every time we create a product, it always is from that perspective. Mm. Interesting, because, you know, I note that uh, one of your goals um, is to onboard 5 million Nigerians in five years. Yes. Now, that is a... Quite, you know, that's <laughs> that that's that's yeah. a, a serious, um, you know, target mm-hmm. that you set yourself. Um, currently, what are the challenges that you are facing mm. um, with reaching um, people who are, I would say, in the informal sector, for example? Um, so the first thing is, um, and I, I think it always needs to be clear that um, we do not have complete control over the product that we sell. Mm. Um, our bar is a shared service provider in the pension industry. Our bar is not a pension fund administrator. So think about it as uh, the conduit to which uh, the pension funds reach um, the people on the street. Um, and because we do not have complete control over how the product is you know, designed, sold, modified, uh, we have to go with um, you know regulation and we have to always follow everything that is in line with that conversation so we let the industry lead you know but because we're on the streets we have a bit more understanding to what the customer on the street wants Uh, so it is in relaying that reality on the street to the regulator and the pension funds is it's is a major is is a challenge glad that the regulator is very responsive and very supportive uh, but is getting everybody on the same page quick enough to be able to get across to five million people is the first step um i think the second step also is um the 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 adoption of technology across board uh so we've now started creating low tech te- uh, low tech technology um, options, USSD, chatbots over WhatsApp to be able to get across to every single person, but still it's not enough. So now we're now trying to expand our agents network from 3,000 to 33,000 to be able to reach every Nigerian wherever they may be across the federation. Um, So there's a lot that is going on. And 
it also needs to be realized that we're creating a lot of these things from scratch. Think about banking 20 years ago. That is where the pension industry is 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 now in terms right. of adoption, in terms of, you know, people understanding it. If you go on the streets in front of us to now mm -hmm. and you ask 10 people what a bank is, all the 10 would give a vivid explanation of what a bank is. Mm -hmm. Ask those same 10 people what a pension is. If one knows, it'll be great, right? So we, we're coming from a low understanding of the uh, from the general public. We're coming from a low trust base from the general public. Um, so we're building everything at the same time. Trust, understanding, education, technology. So all of these things are together. We're building it at the same time. So if we were not as passionate about what we're doing, I'd say there was no chance to make it work. But we're really super committed um, to doing this. And, and that is what pushes us to continue to do it every day. So do you think that the uh, the cashless policy that mm. was recently introduced by the CBN would eventually um, have an impact um, on pension tech? And let me explain what I mean, because a lot of people are still in the informal sector for banking. With the cashless policy, they will be forced to adopt some sort of technology mm -hmm. in making, you know, daily transactions. And with that, once they get educated and comfortable such platforms, it's also easy for them to then, you know, onboard. It will be easier for you to onboard such people using the uh, using tech, mm. pension tech, right? So do you think it actually plays, it's a positive development and plays into, you know, a part of the, you know, you know, your goals? Would so, it help? so we need a lot of things uh, lying in our favor. Yeah. Um, one of them is which you have said, the cashless policy does help. It does help a great deal. Um, another thing we need is a lot more empathy from financial includers, <laughs> if there's such a word, mm -hmm. uh, people who are driving financial inclusion in their spaces uh, to understand the issue from the perspective of the excluded. Right now, we're trying to force financial inclusion down people's throats without understanding what is the benefit for the person that we're trying to include. So we need a, a, an alignment of so many things to work in our favor. But definitely, yes, this financial inclusion of cashless policy drive that the CBN is trying to push right now does help a great deal. Does help. Okay, great. Okay. Um I like to sort of move slightly to emerging trends. So um, young Nigerians overwhelmingly dominate the labor force. As of 2020, Nigerians aged 25 to 34 years old represented the largest labor force population in the country with around 23 million people, right? For many young Nigerians, retirement may appear distant, but this is simply not true. Mm. Um, and many are vulnerable to old age poverty without retirement savings. So what is your strategy to capture and retain this market? Yeah. So um, when we came into the market, um, we started to see a few fintechs, you know, trying to I, I wouldn't I don't know if the word was the market what we were selling, mm -hmm. um, trying to compare what we sell with um, investments. And I, I consistently made it clear it's pensions is not an investment it's mm -hmm. a savings it's an it's a savings slash insurance 
it's an insurance in case life happens to you. Mm -hmm. So you can go out and do all other things. So for instance, a, a Bill Gates, for instance, I'm, I'm sure Bill Gates has a pension, a 401k, right? Um, but his 401k is really a big issue in his everyday thinking. He's a, he's a billionaire, right? So, but just in case Bill Gates wasn't a billionaire, his 401k would you know, make sure that he doesn't fall into poverty. So what I tell people that is that pensions is unlikely to make you rich, mm. but it is guaranteed to ensure that you will not be poor. Absolutely. So thinking about it from that perspective makes it a must have for everybody. Mm. So it's that thing you have first before you go and do every other thing. Mm. Before you start investing in stocks, bonds, everything in life, you first have to have this. This is the foundation. This is the safety net. This is the thing that ensures that every other thing you do could, if it fails, you still have something to fall back on. And that is where we come from. And even, you know, there's also the conversation around um, the devaluation of the Naira and high inflation. Mm. And I tell people that, yes, but you Many people just do not also understand how pensions work. Pensions are long-term savings. You don't save pensions for five years. You save pensions for 20, 30, 40 years. So there's the long-term compounding effect of pensions. And also, inflation is a yearly event. It is not a spread event. So there are the years where inflation is 12%. There are the years where it is 8%. There are the years where it is 14%. You don't use 14% to judge your pension fund you use the stretch over 10 years the average which comes to about i think is about nine percent so if your pension fund is doing above nine percent year on year you're still retaining the value of your cash yeah but twinji yes the economy is really rough absolutely right? absolutely a lot of people in the informal sector are living from hand to mouth mm -hmm. to be able to afford a pension yeah you must have some sort of disposable income yeah. Um, and how do you convince someone who is just trying to get by mm. to invest in your product? Mm. By giving them, them on your by giving them financial services today with the services that they are preparing for in the future. So think about it. Let's let's reimagine mm. this together. And I'll I'll tell you how we think about mm. this in our bar. Um, your pension fund returns every year, right? Why shouldn't your pension fund be able to give you complimentary health insurance every year based on the fact that you have money sitting in the pot? Mm. Right? Why do we have to separate the conversation? And this this is me thinking, right? I'm just I'm just throwing it out there. Mm. And I'm I'm just telling you how we think. If my pension fund is returning, say, 15%, 14%, 11%, can I take a one point off that and pay for my health insurance this year? pay for my life insurance this year? Yes, it's possible. So that means if I have money in the pot, I don't ever have to worry about in life in health insurance again for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. I don't have to worry about life insurance for the rest of my life, right? Mm -hmm. That is one point. That appeals to someone like you because you have a full understanding of what health insurance is, right? Now, if I do that, is it possible that because I have that money there, I could get access to small credit? Because I have money sitting in the pot, right? I can get access to small credit at very low interest rates. Not what you get from the average commercial bank at 19% or whatever it is. But because, think about it, from, this money is coming from, is leveraged against my pension fund, right? So I can get it at 2-3%. Mm. 
Doesn't that benefit me? This is the way you think with empathy to an economy that will not save. You have to think about the long-term prospects of the fund that you are asking them to keep aside and use it to make life better for them today. If you do not reimagine pensions from this perspective, it will not move. But we realize that we do not have power to be able to do that. That is the regulator's conversation. That is the pension fund's conversation. But from our perspective as a fintech, can we be able to you know, create a bridge between what they're doing and what can be accessible to the customer right now? That is what we're doing. Interesting. So in your view, what can be done to sort of speed up this process? Do you think that reimagining the possible, for example, maybe having um, the regulators, you know, taking a different stance or a different look and allowing those pension um, um, fund administrators to include products Mm. that would also attract and enhance um, the, the, the value of the pot to the, to the to, customer. To the customer. So yes. I, th- I I do know that the regulators there there are few things that they've started to do mm-hmm. which is in line with that and I know that there's a lot of proposals on their table and they're they're pondering through it. One that they've done which I, I really applauded was that you can use 25 percent of your pot mm-hmm. to be able to get access to a mortgage. Mm-hmm. That is fantastic mm-hmm. for me. It, it's 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 a huge proposition. Not only is it 25 percent of our actual sitting pension pot, but it also means that we can use that to stimulate the real estate economy mm-hmm. and create more jobs on that side and you know to be able to bring multiplier effect to the funds that you have sitting in your pocket um but yes the conversation is not reimagining pensions but seeing what is do what's happening across the world mm-hmm. so with my 401k for instance if i'm in the us i can borrow against it mm-hmm. if i'm in the uk i can borrow against mm-hmm. it if i have a pension fund there are so many things that can happen around my pension funds it's what is happening in in India is what hap- is happening in Singapore with uh, informal sector pensions, for instance. So all we are doing in Nigeria, and you know, I was asked someone who was saying earlier to me and saying that we are disruptors in the pension industry, and I'm saying uh, no. Everything we've done so far is done somewhere else. Mm. You know, we're just bringing. We've not gotten to the point of disruption yet. We're still doing. We're still bringing us to the at par. To what the world is doing with pensions and for me in my mind i think about it from the perspective of look at singapore look at india look at america look at the uk if we can just bring those models and take things and i know the, the regulator is already doing some of that mm. the pension industry will be a lot more robust you know and attract more people and you know build the funds that we have in aum uh, than we have now. Mm. Interesting. This leads to my next question, really, around um, regulation mm-hmm. um, by the, you know, PENCOM. Um, and you know that returns from investments, you know, the, the PFAs carry out on behalf of uh, those who have retirement savings accounts, uh, it's mainly investing in, in, in government securities. Uh, so due to this, the PFA would, I would say, um they would argue that they are not able to maximize um mm. you know value or make profit and um, government would also argue that we want to protect um you know those who have actually invested in such schemes so that they don't lose the value of their pensions so there's this dichotomy mm-hmm. between 
uh, you know, trying to, uh, you know, maximize value and also protecting the ports, the pension port as it stands. Um, do you do you see a situation where they, the uh, the um, Pencom would allow PFAs to take on a little bit more um, high risk investments? Is there a need? Is there a need to? Is there a need to? I don't think there is. Mm. I don't think there is. Uh, you, you don't. I think, of, and, and I'm really honest. As long as we're not losing the value, mm-hmm. uh, and when I say losing value, I'm talking about as against inflation and devaluation. Exactly. As long as we're not losing value, pensions should be pensions. Let's not make pensions. Let's not turn pensions into okay. investments. And the world needs to understand what pensions are. Pensions are a factor of saving you against old age poverty. When you get to retirement, you're able to live the standard of life that you want to live. That is it. It is not about anything else. It doesn't give you skyscrapers. It doesn't buy you a Bugatti. It doesn't buy you a a Rolls Royce. It gives you the standard of life that you have saved up in your pension pot. That is what pensions are meant to do. Now, here is my fear. And I have followed a bit of the U.S. pension situation. They've gone a bit aggressive with the 401k. Mm. Their conversation with, there's no money in the pot anymore because people have gone into aggressive investments. You know, the pension funds, I I mean, Nigerian fintech businesses get investments from venture capitalists who get monies from LPs, who get monies from pension funds. So pension funds in the UK and the US are a bit more aggressive into where they can put their money into. I wouldn't like to see my pension fund in Nigeria go into a fintech in somewhere. I I don't care. I don't, I really see at the end of the day, my pension fund should be there when I retire. Mm. I just want to make sure that when I retire, I just get a a check every month. That is what I want. So as long as it's not eroding in value, I think let's keep it what it is, okay. what it is, and tell people that because you have this, mm. go out and flourish, go out and do the more aggressive investments, you know, and do what you need to do. Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting insight, a good post. So I think I buy into that really. Um, at the end of the day, you want to have your pension pots waiting for you. When <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, sir. I can I can appreciate that uh, that perspective. Um, you work in fintech or pension tech, as the case may be, and to the extent that technology mm. can have a very big impact mm. on the adoption of some of these products. How do you see um, our bank leveraging on these opportunities that are at best, you know, available, mm. you know, definitely within pensions and maybe to other, you know, other areas as well, you know, as they open up. What what do you think would be a disruption in this space specifically? And how do you mitigate against such threats going forward? Um, so I think the first thing is, is in the unit value of each customer. And and that that is the way we think about the um, the way we approach our business. We are not um, we're not the kind of business that is going to try to you know make the customer poorer because they're doing business with us. And we're not we are a for profit business, but we're also a business that is high on you know being responsible about how we 
engage with our customers. Mm. So the way you can be able to be super profitable still by doing that is to be able to look at the unit value of each customer. So um, technology is able to help me take each customer, see and look at the customer all around and say, okay, can I be able to extract a little bit more value from this customer by giving this customer a little bit more? And, you know, be able to earn from that extra instead of increasing the, the price of my product to this customer. You know, let's, so let's just let's think about it from selling a tin of milk. A company could look at selling that tin of milk and saying, I sold it for $1, $1 let me increase it to $1.50, right? My thought is I sell milk. Can I sell something complimentary to milk? and make money off that complimentary product instead of increasing the value of milk. I still make more money, mm -hmm. you know, without unnecessarily burdening my customer, right? So the only way I can do that effectively is to be able to have the, in, the, the technology available to give me that insight into every detail of my relationship with the customer. How am I reducing cost? on my interactions? How am I maximizing value on the customer? And I saw one one of the dashboards upstairs earlier, and it's it's clear to my mind that this is how I need to interact with my customer. I want to see on a day-to-day -day basis, how much is my customer saving? If I know that my customer is saving this amount regularly, is there a way that I can reduce the uh, transaction costs of my customer so that my customer can save more? You know, that is the way I think about interacting with my customers as against just increasing the value of uh, the price, the increase in the price. I want to increase value and earn more instead of just increasing uh, price just to earn more. Okay, so still still on the subject of technology, right? Um, a common criticism of pensions is a lack of transparency. Tell so me you, about it. You, you have, you, you put money into this pot, right? Yes. And, you know, you don't really know exactly what products that the PFA mm -hmm. is investing in. in. You don't know how much you've made. You're just told you get some statements, you know, uh, uh, intermittently at some point in time, you get statements um, to say this is the value. Or if you inquire, they tell you this is the value of your, but you don't know whether that is <laughs> that is true or not, because there really isn't any transparency around how they got to that figure. So, um People are oftentimes, you know, who don't have sights of how the funds are performing, would maybe have a bit of a of a question in their minds as to whether they are being cheated. Mm. Now, in driving transparency and building accountability um, to give members and beneficiaries an easy to use overview of their likely pension finances, what technology is our bar going to use to change that narrative? So I'll tell you this. Um, we learn from a few companies across the world. So we pattern ourselves after a few companies and we're, we're very close to them. And it is that relationship that is helping us craft what we're building. Um, one of those businesses is uh, Smart Pensions in the UK. Smart Pensions is across four continents, uh, managing pension funds across four continents. They, they are probably one of the most technologically advanced pension businesses across the world. They... Um, the, 
thing they've been able to do is to break it down to this micro level that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And I think this is one way to further create involvement or inclusion uh, from the general public. So think about it from this perspective. How would it feel? How would you feel if you knew that the IPP down the road, part of the money that built it was from your pension fund or the new bridge that is being built somewhere? Part of the money that was built, that was invested to build that bridge comes from your pension fund. And then it's going to be told and then your income from that bridge is going to come back to you. There's a source of, there's a feeling of responsibility. Your pension fund was part of the money that was used to build a an airport. That brings you closer to your pension fund. Not only does it bring you closer, every time you're at that airport, you feel a bit of pride. Mm. You see somebody littering the airport, you feel like the owner of this airport. You're, you're almost telling the person, do you mind picking that up? That is the connection that needs to happen with pensions. It's not there yet in Nigeria, but maybe not to you know, speak too big about our dreams and our aspirations, but that's what we want. We want to be able to give each customer a breakdown of what your money was invested in. Mm. You know, See that bridge, see that IPP, see that government bond, see this. This is what your money went into this year. And this is what, why you should be proud about how your money grew. You know, we're doing it not only to make you have a future, but we're doing it responsibly. That is where pensions should get to, but we're not close to it yet. How long do you think it will take for us to get to that stage? Um, so we have at our bar, mm -hmm. we have the first engagement with smart pensions on this level, on this conversation next month. Uh, so we're now at the point where we're looking at the technology together and saying, where can we come together? Well, how can we do it? You know, after we've gotten our technology, we still have to bring it to the stakeholders here and say, this is what we think we the future should be. Mm. What do you guys think? And, you know, remember, again, we are not the pension fund. Indeed. We're not the regulator. Mm. We can only suggest the technology. So our, from our end, it could be as quick as this year. You know, I I, I, I contribute to pensions. I'm PwC, so I had a <laughs> pension scheme for me. Um, and, you know, what I would really like is to go on into the internet, open my pension account, click on the dashboard and see everything. It gives you pride. I yeah. know, I know, I feel see, it. It gives you pride. See, you know, <laughs> what is going on, what was, you know, how my, how, how my, pension pot i mean the lives grow. it has touched yeah while it is improving your pot indeed that that just that doesn't give you only money mm. that also gives you a sense of i mean and and you know pension funds in nigeria need to also realize that this is a way to be able to attract customers because if my pension fund is giving money and pride i beat the next pension fund mm. who is just giving money you know, even if they are doing more, I know that my money was what created that yeah, bridge. Indeed, indeed. I know my money was what created that IPP. I mean, it gives pride. I, mm. I don't know if I'm the only one that thinks this <laughs> crazy about fashion. No, I, I, I think a lot of people can relate to that. Yes. Yeah, so I, I, I know that is what it should be. And we continue to think about this. But I, like I tell you, we're ready for it. If as 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 the industry permits... We are ready to do it as quickly as this year. Mm. So, Tunji, still on the issue of technology, um, pension schemes hold large volumes of data, mm. sensitive data, personal information, financial information of individuals. Now, a breach of this security can have a devastating effect on, 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 you know, 
the operational um, aspects, you know, of 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 pensions. Yeah, um, it could stop payouts, um, you know, and things like that. So, what what cybersecurity measures are in place to avoid these risks? So, our bar, you know, and also, do, does our bar, you know, use biometric technology? Mm. Yeah. Um, so very broad question um and specifically for the pension industry so i'll start from uh the regulatory perspective so there's a there's a unique conversation with the pension industry that is not like any other industry in nigeria um so there are three people that relate with your conversation as a pension fund as a rsa holder you relate directly with only one of them, and that is the pension fund administrator. That's correct. Uh, the pension fund administrator doesn't even hold your money. It is held by another entity called the pension fund custodian. Mm-hmm. Um, and the uh, payout or so needs to be approved by the regulator. So for money to leave, it needs to have the approval of those three entities. Mm. The PFA admits, the PFC, uh, the, the regulator um, says go ahead, and then the PFC pays. So a data breach on one side is bad, but it still needs the other two. So you need a coordinated data breach <laughs> to get any problem with a pension fund in Nigeria, which is very unique. I think I love the way it was built. Um, very, very unique. But... Um, in line with things that have been happening as in global improvements and things like that. So biometric um, registration, specifically using the NIN registration is one of the primary criteria for you to sign up to micro pensions or pensions basically. So you need that basic biometric data capture, which of course, because we know that it's necessary for our customers to be captured in that perspective, we then use, we've deployed some level of um, biometric data capture to be able to do this. Um, but still, we are in a very unprecedented era where there are data breaches happening left, right, and center. Mm-hmm. I think I saw recently um, somebody listed 10 um, data warehousing companies across the world uh, and said all oh, these 10 have been breached in the last 12 months. <laughs> and I was on, it was on a WhatsApp group and I said, oh, wow. We use three of them. <laughs> we use three of these services. <laughs> so there's probably a problem. Um, but yeah, this is the thing I, you know, you continue to realize is that, you know, you can't just sit down on, on data practices. You have to be, you have to continuously improve them. So today, this is what you're using. Can we improve on that? Can we put an added layer? Just like you know, the pension has exactly. created, you know, created a three-layer uh, security system. Mm-hmm. So can you keep creating layers so that even if one is breached, it, you know, the person will have to really be determined, you know, to get access to your data. So that's that's the way we continue to look at it. Of course, uh, sometimes it can slow down efficiency of a few things, but I think um, data privacy is far more a greater concern, yes. you know, than than efficiency. So what we need to do is, this is the baseline. So we need to start creating efficiency on that, baseline. you know, on that baseline. So that's the way we look at it. But uh, any product that can help us be more uh data efficient and more safe uh we we will always be open to it okay yeah thanks um for that insight now i you, coalition of data 
uh, is integral to designing products geared towards the customers. Mm. How are these large, you know, chunks of data secured and managed by our bar? And then what sort of data governance policies are in place to ensure that these um, there is proper handling of, of these data to maintain its integrity? So um, we're two years in operations. We just got two years in, in January. And I can't tell you how much of a headache this particular situation, that's this question that you have asked is for me, because uh, we still in our mind see ourselves as a very small new company, uh, but we're now having to manage a lot of data and we do see how sensitive the regulator is to this data concerns mm -hmm. so we're having to put in all sorts of data policies that we feel it should be for big companies that are doing this but because we realize how sensitive this is we are having to you know make parts of our office you know out of bounds you know you know puts in some kind of data measures to make sure that, you know, only certain people have access to certain levels of data, mm -hmm. you know, keeping certain things in the cloud, you know, whatever we have as uh, uh, documentation, keeping in certain places. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of hassle for a small business like ours. Mm -hmm. You know, this is, you, you don't think about you having to manage this when you, st when you start out with a vision, but it's something that we've now been faced with. Um, but I can tell you that in my mind, we should be doing a lot better. Um, I think we're doing better than industry average, mm. but I think there's still a lot more room to cover in terms of just knowing that we have the optimal efficiency. And I'll tell you this, I, I used to, I, I was part of the team that created this sector strategy for Nigeria. And in going around Nigeria's data management systems across MDAs in Nigeria, um, when we went to the central bank of Nigeria, that was amazing. It was amazing. It was amazing the way the data, the data system in the central bank is. Not many people in the building know where the data storage system is in the building. It's amazing, right? Mm. Like you work here, but you don't know where it is. Mm. And and I was amazed by that. You know, it was it was really beautiful. Um, and the way the system and it's such a it's an is an intelligent building that okay you could just go somewhere it gives you access at that point you don't know where the data management system is you just plug in you're able to get access to it but you don't know where it is um you, you're not even sure if it is in the building <laughs> but it's amazing and that is the level of data efficiency and data storage that i would like for our company but like i said we're still we're still a very small company but that that is the goal that oh, is the goal wonderful okay so tunji it's been a really insightful session we've had a really good Good time talking to you today. Um, but before you go, we have um, some questions for you. <laughs> Three fun questions. And the first one is this. Speaking of predictions, mm. what was the last prediction you got wrong? That the central bank would run out of cash. <laughs> no, the, the central bank would run out of dollars when uh, there was a, under this particular central bank, there was this, uh, this focus on defending the Naira at some point. Mm. You know, and I think that was in, I, I can't remember when exactly that was, but I thought they were going to run out quickly, but the CBN governor proved me wrong. I, 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 I was wrong. Okay. And it was a public being wrong. I was public about it. <laughs> okay. So you just swallowed your... Yeah. Humble pie. I, I ate that humble pie. Yeah. I was really wrong. Interesting. Second question. What's one view 
you seem to find very few people agree on. That I don't need to have a skyscraper to live a fulfilled life. Uh, that I don't have to have a Bugatti to live a fulfilled life. Right. That I don't need billions in my bank account to be to live a fulfilled life. Yeah. Mystery question from previous guest. What is your immediate solution to the challenge of Japa Japa mm, syndrome. Mm. So here's the thing, uh, and this is a fantastic uh, conversation. I'm not trying to keep people here. I'm just trying to keep them connected with here. So one of the things that we do is that uh, if you live in the UK, wherever you live across the world, you can save for pensions back home if you choose to. Mm. So we're making it available to Nigerians. And not only you save for pensions, you can also gift people back home pensions oh, wow. and you could give them health insurance and things like that. So we're not saying don't go. Uh, we I'm an economist, so I understand uh, uh, capital flows. Mm. So if you have to go, please go. Just make sure that you're connected to Nigeria. Oh, good. Okay. And the final question. Disruption is interrelated. In that respect, what's one perspective you'd like to get from our next interviewee? Um, honesty. Um, I would really like them to ask themselves is there, if they're really disrupting. Because, okay. you know, disruption is just a very vague word. Yeah, it is. And it makes people feel once you have a laptop and you can write code, you're disrupting. <laughs> um, I'm a bit uh, honest about it. Yeah. If you're not doing, if you're doing something that is already being done, but you're doing it quicker, mm -hmm. I'm not sure that's disrupting. I'm sure, I think that's efficiency. Mm -hmm. So really be honest with yourself. Are you really disrupting? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Good. And, and this is from me. This is my my question to you so for all the listeners out there mm. those listening to this podcast imagine uh, that you have someone at the other end who doesn't have a pension mm. and our bar comes into contact with this person yeah what do you have to say to them so i have done a bit of study about all the you know most successful people across the world um and one of the things i realize about successful people is audacity the audacity to be able to go out and do stuff and that audacity comes from a place of knowing that is either they they've burnt all bridges and know that they're going to go out and do it if it fails it fails they die on it or they always know that there is a fallback option, so they're able to give it 120%. What I'm selling to you is that thing that gives you that audacity to be able to go out and you know become the very best you can become. I'm not saying it's going to make you rich. I'm saying that it's going to give you the freedom to go and be rich. I'm not saying it's going to make you the greatest person in your in your lineage, but I'm saying it's going to give you that freedom to go and do it. So think about me. What I'm selling to you is rest of mind that in case everything fails, we will be here to take care of you. That is what we're selling to you at our bar. Wonderful. And on that note, thank you very much for your time, Tunji. Thank you for having me. I, I really enjoyed this. Fantastic. Fantastic.